welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Real Leaders. I have with me today an epic real leader in Bishop Tony Miller from the Gate Church in Oklahoma City. Good to have you with us, Bishop. Thank you, uh, Jamie. It's great delight to be able to be with you. I'm, I'm honored to be able to participate in this time with you. Yeah, man. I mean, the, the first few times that uh, I saw you and we got uh, connected a couple years later was at the Issachar Initiative uh, right. out there in uh, Florida with uh, Bishop Mark Sharona and was really impressed with just the delivery, the clarity in which you speak, the revelation and all that stuff was just phenomenal. And been fortunate enough to get to know you a little bit more in this last, this last year, I think 2019. And just going into this year, uh, 2020 was looking forward to connecting even more and now we're doing it through uh, this, but I just think you're such an important voice in this hour. You've been important in so many other people's lives, but I just want to introduce you to some of the leaders here that we'd be listening to this episode with some of the things that I'm going to ask you today that I think you really would help a lot of people when you answer them. Thank you so much. And just the joy of being able to uh, enter into what you do and the influence that God has granted to you and the people that I know draw life from what flows through you. Our times of being together, it's been very evident to me that that you are a, a beacon of light that shines through some of the chaos and that you carry life wherever you go. So just to be able to uh, join with you and do that is a great delight for me. Thank you so much. And it looks like it's beautiful weather over there. I'm looking out your window. You're yeah. looking it's 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 sunshine in about 80 degrees in Oklahoma today wow. and, and it'll be 35 on Saturday so praise the Lord praise the Lord indeed so good way to start out the Easter week at the Easter week that we're in so well I want to ask you this question because I'm I am curious as to the leaders you're leading thousands of people in your congregation and other leaders that would even include your staff. Now, how did you approach adjusting them to this new normal that they found themselves in, we all found ourselves in? How did you approach that? I'm curious. That's a great question. You know, one of the things that we've always had as a, an underlying uh, ministry philosophy of what we do is that blessed are the flexible, for they'll not be broken. Wow. And we're living in a time like this that adaptability uh, is so very, very important. Uh, when, when we're not living on a landscape, we're living on a seascape. It's mm. like waves keep rolling every, every minute or two. Mm. And we're living in days where, uh, you know, there for a while in particular, everything that we were enabled to do or had opportunity to do was shifting by the hour. And so I'm sure like every other leader that has any responsibility, we kept going back in to say, okay, how can we innovate in this hour? And next thing you know, we had to be flexible again because what we had just planned uh, tomorrow changed. So I have a strong belief, Pastor, that, it, that leaders, you know, the age old question between the Greeks and the Romans and historically was, are leaders born or are they made? can you make a leader or are you born a leader? You know, the Greeks had this mindset. That's what they, that's what charisma was used for in the days of the Greeks, because they believed that Karish, you were, you were blessed by God, that when you were born, there was something on your life that set you apart from everybody else. The gods gave that to you and you couldn't be taught or made into a leader. 
And then you come along with the mindset after the Roman Empire where they took men and developed them and it sort of became the age-old question, are leaders born or are they made? I really believe that history has proven biblically and post-biblically that leaders are summonsed. Hmm. And the moment summonses them. And we're in a moment right now where I believe people are being summoned that were not heard of a month ago. Wow. But their leadership gift is standing up. One of the things that's so, it was, it's so funny to me. I shared this with my staff. I said, do you know there are no mega churches today? Hmm. Every one of them is meeting at a home. Mm-hmm. There are no, everybody's a church plant. So people that felt like they were behind the curve all of a sudden have a chance to be summonsed into a moment for what I really believe ministry is about. And that's about people. And so we, we've just had to rethink through some of our, our, uh, our modes of operation. We had to think through what our real call was. One of the things the first several days is we just focused on what are we really called to do? And that is to shepherd the flock of God. We're to shepherd God's people. Uh, we're to equip saints. It doesn't say equip saints when you can meet with them in person on Sunday. Yep. We're to find ways to equip them on a daily basis. What does that look like? How can we do it in this culture? And so we began to reframe models that not just were going to be temporary. Some of them are not going to be temporary. Yep. Not just 30 day models until we get through a, a crisis moment. I think they really are the realignments of things that are taking place for the kingdom. You know, if I can share this, when, when, when I was in high school, I was a basketball player and a football player. And I, I wasn't very, I was only six foot, six foot and a half or so. So I wasn't, a, I, I wasn't a lifelong basketball player, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody said, well, you're talented. Yeah, but I wasn't tall. That's, right. that's the issue. So, uh, but one of the things that when I remember first going to basketball camp, when I was just a, probably 12, 13 years old, and I, I went to a camp where a guy named Dean Smith, who had been coach of the uh, North Carolina Tar Heels, great coach, historic coach, was running the camp. And one of the things he taught in that camp was the importance of the pivot foot. Hmm. If you play basketball, you know, as long as you're dribbling, you can keep both feet moving. But when the ball stops, you have to establish a pivot foot. One foot can't move. It has to be the thing for you to stay in the game. Because if you can't pivot, you can't keep playing. And I believe prophetically, leaders are in a moment where they're having to learn how to pivot. It's not that the ball's been taken out of our hands or the game's over. It's we're learning to pivot into a different posture and a different perspective to see how to minister to people in in this moment. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. I think, like you said, some things that we're going to create in this time, it's actually going to carry over into the next season. It's, yeah. it's almost like this season has forced us to be inventive. And I think in these times of crisis, some of the greatest, greatest inventions and things are created that actually make those things recession-proof and crisis-proof if they're done well. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, and we are learning to, you, you know, I, somebody asked me recently, said, uh, Bishop, do you think this is the new norm? And I said, no, I don't think this is the new normal. Uh, everybody living in their homes is not sustainable. That's not the new normal. But it's the birth canal to a new normal. Yeah. 
if you believe we're coming out the other side of this the same way we were 45 days ago, then you're not paying attention because people's lives will be forever altered. It was like generations that were marked by certain uh, major moments in history. Yep. You know, the, the World War II generation was marked by Pearl Harbor. The John Kennedy generation was marked by his assassination. The 9-11 generation. Well, this generation is going to be marked by something that hasn't happened in 120 years in our culture, at least, and never to this extent. Yep. So levels of trust, levels of interaction, uh, what people will, will, will take out of this as valuable, I think are going to forever shift us. So we're going to be birthed into a new season, which is pretty interesting that this is really taking place around Holy Week. Right. You know, oh, man, that's a whole prophetic picture too. I'm sure you can go off on that. Now, it's amazing to me. Yeah. T tell me this, I, you know, I'm thinking about the leadership muscles that we all have that we normally use, right? We, we use these normal leadership muscles. We become accustomed to certain things of exercising and, and doing things, and they almost become intuitive. But then these moments come up in our story or in history or in our moments where now we're leadership muscles weren't being used before now they're being stretched and we're beginning to use things like man i haven't used that in a while and so my my question is have you noticed yourself having to stretch certain leadership muscles in this last season in this season we're in now that that weren't really the leadership muscles that you were using as much in the season we just come from yeah actually um the first thing we began to do is I, I brought my team together and I said to them, guys, we're about to go old school. Hmm. Uh, we're going to go back to touching people. Uh, that means personal touches. Hmm. Uh, Pastor, I believe in, in a high tech world, high touch matters. Yeah. And some people believe that just by talking to people over a Facebook post or a Facebook video is sufficient. But the truth of the matter is, is that sheep have a shepherd. And when we shepherd people, when God calls people to our house, he doesn't call them to our building. He doesn't even call them to our worship style. He calls them to a voice. When, when Jesus looked at his disciples after everybody walked away because the fish and the loaves and the miracles were over, and he said, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter said, where would we go? Nobody has the words you have. It's your voice we're attached to. We like the other stuff, but it's your voice we're attached to. So people have to be able to not only hear from their leaders in a screen way where I communicate in one direction, but I think they have to come to a point where they can also have dialogue with people that they know are shepherding them. How do you know what their fears are, what they actually are? How do you run your hands through the wool to find out what may be contaminating them? So we had to go back to picking phones up, making personal calls. We went through a database of 4,000 names. I took people that their primary job responsibilities was for things that we do in a Sunday worship expression. And I said, if we're going to keep them employed, we're going to have to redirect them. So I had to redirect them to learn things. Some of them had never learned. They never lived in the days when you had to touch base with people on a daily basis or a weekly basis. 
So I had to, I had to exercise my personal touch to people. What happens, you know, when God begins to do certain things in your life, you don't, you don't, I'm, I'm a pretty relational guy. I don't build quarantines around my life normally. That's not who I am. But the more God gives you responsibility for, oftentimes it automatically draws lines of resistance that people feel like they have to get to, to get to you, get through, to get to you. I had to go back to saying, wait a minute, I'm not in the preaching business. I'm in the people business. Mm. So I have to learn how to touch people. How am I going to touch people? One of the other muscles I had to learn is that on a staff that has size of some of what ours does, I leave a lot of the daily going into discipleship training to a lot of my guys that are on my executive levels. I found out, you know what? I have a 9.30 call every morning with my entire team. I have ever since this started. I pray with them. I talk to them about how are you feeling? Because most of them, everybody on my team is under 40, except for two. Hmm. They've never been in a crisis moment like this. So I go, how are you feeling? How are you processing? Because you train people, not just how to do a job, but you really train people how to think. How do you perceive in this moment? What do you perceive? Because we see through our eyes, we don't see with our eyes. So when I'm looking through at certain situations, my eyes don't tell me what I'm looking at, my brain does. So when I'm engaged in in an environment where stuff's coming at me every day and pressurizing me, I found out I had to go back and teach my younger leaders just how to think, how to process, how to perceive. That's something that uh, I had, uh, even though I serve as a bishop of a network, I've been so used to dealing with senior leaders and guys that then hand off the training to other people. It exercised me. It actually exercised me to a great place. I feel that fathering part of me that's been there all along much more uh, in those days than I've ever felt in a long, long time. No, that's really good. It's almost like you go back to that, like, oh, we're going here again. I haven't done this in a while, but you get back to that place and it actually, it, it warms you up. It's like, this is who I am. It's not who I'm not. It's actually who I'm at. And I'm just, it's, it's, it's being better received in this moment and it's needed in this moment more so than ever. So that's great. I think, I think we found out, uh, Pastor Jamie, that, that we, we believe the world has been shaken, but the truth of the matter is the church has been shaken. I think so too. And what we've been shaken out of is we've been shaken out of our false sense of securities, Mm -hmm. things that we thought secured us. We've been shaken out of our false identities because much of what the church world in leadership in particular uh, had, had moved towards was more image management than true identity. Wow. And as long as we could manage our image, we felt like we were being successful and you know, I believe that the real call for apostolic leaders uh, in any of the fivefold gifts, but really particularly apostolic people, is Paul said, Paul didn't say, I'm a wise master blesser. He said, I'm a wise master builder. Mm. So we have to go back to building things, things that have sustainability, not, not 30 second sound bites, not, not a flash on an Instagram picture or Snapchat that goes away in three minutes. We have to learn how do I build sustainability? And so we've been shaken in that false sense of of identity. And I think we've also found out that we're a lot more vulnerable than we realize. We don't control a lot. Hmm. 
everything that you thought you controlled uh, two months ago, you really don't control very much at all. Right. Right. Yeah. If you, if you had hired a church consultant the first week in January to tell you how to build your church, uh, 90% of what he told or he or she told you that week is of no value today. Whatever you paid him, you wasted money. Yeah. Irrelevant. Yeah. Because you can't do any of it. Right. So we've come back to the power of the gospel. Yeah. It's ability to work. We, 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 we've so got so off into tracks where we trust the government to protect our freedoms. We, we want to sit at seats of power rather than really saying, here's who we're called to be. We're called to be the people of God. We, we are citizens of a different kingdom and we bring life and hope and faith and, and, and salt and light into the midst of our midst of our world. Anybody can do that in their neighborhood, right where they are. Yeah, I, I don't know if you agree with this, but for the most part, the church in America hasn't been as persecuted than the church everywhere else. And if there has been some moments where there was persecution, it's probably been pretty isolated to different areas and different churches, but at large, the American church and all of us are experiencing this together, this is sort of like maybe our our rites of passage, if you will, of of persecution because we've really not had something at this scale. It was something when, you know, when when our services were canceled, it was like, oh no, devil, no you no you're not, and and we just found ourselves coming together, maybe doing some of the things that we should have normally been doing already, uh, but yeah, it's kind of awakened us to some things and exposed. Like, how are we building if we're building as master builders? How are we building? And has it been with the right material or in the right way? It's brought us back to the foundation of things. I, I went to my media team when all of this came down and I said, do not, do not put a post out anywhere that church is canceled or closed. I want you to say the church has left the building. Hmm. It's deployed. Right. It's in places where it's supposed to have been all along. Yes. And I think we're finding that coming out of this, you know, I, everybody's anxious to get back to whatever normal, right. normal. Mm -hmm. right? I don't know what the new normal will look like, but I would say that every leader ought to be evaluating what am I wanting to rush back to? Mm -hmm. Maybe what I was wanting to rush back to is really not anything that can survive the test of time. Because honestly, uh, I've preached in 80, almost 80 nations of the world. I've been so far in the jungles from light poles that it'd be three, three hours in a car to ride to the nearest light pole, much less telephone. And what I realize is most of what the American church is complaining about, even in this present moment, is a first world issue. Yeah. yeah. Third world nations go, or undeveloped nations, go to grocery stores that have empty counters every day. Mm. They have no pharmacies on the corner that have medicine. Right. That's what we're facing is a first world issue mm -hmm. that really makes us uncomfortable. And we're coming through all the minutia we've built up on our foundation. It's almost like Ezra and Nehemiah have showed up again and Zechariah and Haggai, and they're brushing off the foundation of a house and saying, okay, now we can start building again because you've taken what was meant to be the house of, of God and you've took the foundation and piled it up with garbage. So let's get all this stuff off the foundation so we can go back to building again. 
and recognize that there are things that God's going to do. I think we're going to come out of here stronger. I think we'll come out with better models if we pay attention. I think we'll come out of here seeing people have come to Christ. I think there's a God awareness in the culture today that wasn't there 30 days ago. So we need to seize the moment. No, that's that's great. Yeah, I had this picture in my head when you said, you know, these are first world problems of like uh, a child when they lose their, on their smartphone, the internet. And they're like, they start to panic because they have no internet. You still can make phone calls, but you have no internet and don't know what to do. And that's like, that's really first world problems. You get through it. So uh, can you give us some like present strategies that you would encourage leaders to adopt in this present time? Like what are some things that we can begin to think about doing now uh, in light of where we are? Um, yeah, can I, can, I, can, I, can I speak to two things? It's interesting that in this moment, there are, I think there are two things we have to pastor or lead. We have to pastor actions that are required. That's the, that's the practical, the application of things, how we're going to function. Uh, there's so much that every leader that's watching this today is, ha- is having to manage in a moment like this. It's very, it's, it's action oriented. It's like, uh, how do we do our, how do we do our services? What do I do about finances? How do I let people be able to give? I mean, how do I create a community while everybody's having to do it by digital? I mean, all those are action moments, right? So everybody at different, wherever you're at, uh, creates different things. I mean, we, we activated our outreach teams like never before. They're doing certain things in our city, even though we're on a shelter at home thing, we've got certain privileges to be able to keep doing, to ministry people. All those are action oriented. But I'll start first and I'll get to some of those in a minute. But the other thing we have to pastor or lead through is what I call attitudes. And that means we have to be able to not just create action points that we manage. We have to be able to speak to and guide people through the attitudes of the moment. Because it's it's not going to be the action point that causes them to become derailed. It's going to be attitudes. Wow. It's, it's worldview. It's perspective. It's how do I learn to grow in isolation? What's the difference between solitude and seclusion? Mm-hmm. I go into solitude. I go in to meet with somebody. When I go into seclusion, I go to get away from somebody. So are we in solitude? Are we in seclusion? Because seclusion will kill you. Solitude can bring birth in you of things. So how do I take this time and, and actually make it work for me? If Paul said we take momentary light afflictions and employ them, make them work for you, for they bring an eternal weight of glory. So if, if glory is substantiveness, how do I come out of this moment with substance in my life rather than just residue mm. of things I didn't like? So I have to pastor the attitudes of people. I have to make sure faith attitudes are there. I have to be a hope bringer, a prisoner of hope in the middle of all of it. So I, I think that the, the, the tension for every pastor is, I have to, or every leader is, I got to be inspiring in one way and I got to be instructional and innovative in another way. Mm. And sometimes those two things don't always weigh out. They, the tension becomes so great. So here's a couple of things I would say to everybody. First of all, as a leader, I think you have to embody what you want other people to aspire to. Mm. 
You have to become the embodiment of what you want other people to aspire to. The Bible talks about uh, leaders who, because of their faith, became examples and we were to follow them or imitate them. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how do I become a pattern, an example for other people to follow in this. So if I put myself out front, I don't want to come across churchy and, and not authentic. There's a big deal here, Pastor Jamie, is that I think people should be authentic all the time. In other words, I don't think I should be any different on a platform than I am in the supermarket as far as a person, that's authenticity. I have to be authentic with people. Transparency is different. Transparency, you don't give to everybody. Authenticity, you give to everybody. Transparency, you give to the trusted few in your, in your life that you know can handle it. Oftentimes people tell everything they're feeling, believing that therefore people will feel more, more secure. The truth of the matter is if you bleed out in the grocery store, and hemorrhage and bleed out, they're going to have to shut the grocery store down and sanitize it, and it's going to be closed for two or three days. Mm -hmm. You may live, but the grocery store's come to a stop. But if you bleed out in an operating room, it's designed for it. Nothing stops because it's an environment for that to happen. Mm -hmm. That's why people have to have connections. That's why I believe it's important for people to know how to build relationships with key leaders in their life other people, peers, brothers, mm. where they can be transparent because my sins are forgiven by repenting to Jesus. I'm healed by confessing my faults to other people. So a lot of people get forgiveness and never get healed because they don't ever get transparent. But as a leader, I have to always be authentic with the people I'm leading. That means this, that means, and, and I don't know what tradition everybody grew up in that's listening, but I grew up in a time and space where the overcoming believer was a major part of the message that was preached, right? And I believe it wholeheartedly. But here's what I found out. I found out that the church world doesn't have a language for pain. Wow. We don't have a language for suffering. So we throw cliches at them. God's got it in control. Mm. You know, everything's going to be, oh, somebody give me an amen. You know, and, and somebody wants to shout, but we got people sitting at home that didn't lose their job. They lost their business. We've got people who's got family members and I see you units fighting for their life. We've got parents at home who already were going nuts with the schedule of their day. Now we've done thrown children on top of them and told them to become homeschool teachers. Mm. And they're thinking the last thing I know how to do is to teach an algebra problem. Right. Now I got, I've got families in my church. We're starting a lending library for Chromebook computers because some of the people that come to my church don't have computers in their home. So how do their, their kids can't even go to school, even though now everything's online. How does that happen? You can't go to the library and use the computer. The schools are running low on them. So what do you do? So if the church doesn't develop a language for how to talk to people in their pain without patronizing them and giving platitudes, we're going to lose them in this time. But I believe if we authentically come to people and say, this is what I'm dealing with. Yeah. You know what it is? I, I, I've got certain fears. I'm raising grandkids. I've got grandkids and daughters and son-in-laws. What's going to happen to my kids? What's the future going to look like? My, my oldest granddaughter just came. She's in her first year 
of architectural engineering. She did great her first semester. Now her second semester in an engineering school, she's sitting in her kitchen trying to put together 3D models and take pictures and send them to a professor that's 60 miles away. I'm thinking, how's that going to affect her? Right. Is, is her whole college world going to be upside down? So I think this, this embodiment of who we want people to aspire to, we have to be authentic enough to say, I understand your pain. We are in the fellowship of suffering. Yeah as well as the resurrection of his power. Yeah. And so everything we, everything we're serving has to be able to, to be able to speak to pain and bring promise. Hmm. And in the process of that, I think we'll help people navigate this. So I think we have to, you know, you asked me about some things. I think we have to do that. I think we have to, another thing we have to do is we have to prepare for a marathon. This is not a sprint. This is not a two week program. Hmm we're going to be over it. And I'm reminded, I, maybe we've gone long. Tell me if we've gone long. Cause I, I, I feel well, no, like you're good. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. No. Jeremiah 29, the verse we all quote, I know the plans I have for you says the Lord, they're filled with good, not evil, give you a future and a hope. But most people don't quote the context of that verse. The context of that verse is out of chapter 28 and into 29, a prophet has come along and talked to them about the captivity. And he said to them, Oh, don't worry about it. The captivity is only going to be for two years and then we'll be returned to the homeland hmm. and everybody's shouting. Okay. I can endure. I can endure anything for two, for two years. Right. And as they were leaving and breaking up the service, Jeremiah stands up and says, uh, I got a point of, I got a point of order here. The man that just prophesied prophesied to you out of his own spirit and not out of the spirit of God because it will not be two years. It'll be 70 years. And because you built false hope into people, what was going to be a yoke of wood, you've now turned into a yoke of iron. So he says, here's what God says to you. You're going to have to learn how to build houses, start businesses, raise kids, marry your children off. In other words, you're going to have to learn how to find normal rhythms in life for 70 years, because I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And I just think for us, we have to get people out of this. This will be done in two weeks and we'll all go back or three weeks. We'll shelter in home for 21 days and we'll go back to life as normal. I don't believe that's true. No. I think there's going to be long time processing of getting out of this. Who is going to, the day the airlines open up, who's going to go jump on a plane sit next to people you don't know. Yeah, it's just not going to happen like that. Yeah, so people might be trying to hold their breath. Like I can hold my breath that long. <laughs> no, you're going to have to exhale and be able to inhale the new kind of realities that we have to adjust to. And uh, the more you do that, the more you get the point of what this is all for. Um, God is exposing and showing us things, and so great, great, you know, food for thought in these present times to think through that a little bit differently than maybe how some people have been processing it and strategies in light of it that carry a humanity to it, carry a warmth, carry the heart of God into uh, our present situation with people. Yeah, I would, I would encourage every leader to, and I'm a very strong hope-filled, victory-guided yeah, kind of guy. That's not, that's not an issue for me. But I, I went back and with my team, I just rehearsed through them the seven stages of of grief processing, hmm. yeah. not because we've had, we've, by God's grace, we've not had anybody die from the virus, 
I have a man in intensive care now that's a businessman in my church, but by God's grace and goodness, he's fighting through. But how do we help people process the loss of things? Possibly the loss of a job, the loss of life as they knew it. Yeah. Because they're coming out the other side with a bit of grieving over some things that are not what they were. My life got disrupted, so I'm going through those things. Also, that's a practical thing. Every leader can sit down and talk to people because you people don't come to, once they come to acceptance, then the last stage is they can come to meaning. They can find the meaning in why we went through this, but they're gonna have to process to that. Some do it quicker than others. And there are practical things too, Pastor Jamie, that I'm telling our network of churches and I'm sure all the leaders that are online, I think there is, there has to be a big use of our websites and our social media platforms and every means we have to not only get a message out, but to create ways for people to respond. Yeah. How do people respond? What can, how can we dialogue with them? Um, you know, we set up a thing for our senior adults in our church. Uh, I have a whole team that got grocery shops for them, goes, picks up medicine for them. Uh, we had a team that took uh, 55 or 60 of our senior uh, people, flower arrangements this week, just to cheer their day up, dropped them off at the front door, rung the doorbell. Uh, our children's church made uh, 250 handwritten cards at home while they were going through school. We They dropped them in a bin out front of our church as they drove by. And we sanitized them, got permission from the hospital, and they went to give them to hospital patients who have no family who can come in and visit them. Just something to inspire their day. But in there, we, we have a part of our website is we care at thegatechurch.tv. Yeah. So if, they, if people have needs for food, if they have other needs that go on, here's how they can respond to us quickly without, you know, most people won't do that on a Facebook post or something like that, but they yeah. will respond in an email and tell us. So there's practical things. One of the things that we had to learn is we had to learn to have online pastors. That means even when we're doing our services, we had to have pastors in the chat line who would help pray for people and go off into prayer rooms with those people uh, to minister to them. And it helped, I think, in an incredible way, just continue the dialogue. I talked to you about the phone calls we did. You know, we went through our whole data list and, uh, and we learned how to track those calls, what came out of them. Um, I think it's important to focus on community. Part of that Jeremiah passage is seek the welfare of the city wherein you live for in its welfare, you shall have welfare. So how do we create opportunities for outreach that we can do that enable us to keep the protocols that are being required of us? Yeah. Uh, we visited every first responders station in our region uh, this past week, firehouses, ambulances, police stations, we took them certain things just to let them know we love, we love them, we care. Um, my media department got busy and uh, created signs that are probably 18 by 18, like a big political sign and put them on sticks. And we got permission from every hospital and the entranceway where nurses and doctors are all having to go through one door now because they're all having to be uh, sanitized as they come in. Mm -hmm. so when they go through, we line the sidewalk with all these signs and just say, doctors rock, nurses rock, thank you for saving lives. We're praying for you today. Thank you for what you're doing for our city. I, um, when my wife was on a team that was putting those out of the hospital, she called me, she was crying. I thought, is something wrong? Mm -hmm. And she said, no. She said, you won't believe this. I just put those signs out 
and nurses and doctors came running out the hospital door and they just sat down in the grass and looked at the signs and started weeping. She said, Tony, you won't believe the impact it's had on these people who are stressed to the height. Mm. And they're just standing there taking pictures with a sign mm. in their, in their, in their scrubs. Yeah. Doctors in their white coats are sitting down in the grass, taking a picture with a sign. Just mm. knowing somebody cares, somebody gives them stuff to do. I think we have to, we have to find practical ways to build community in our churches, even in digital platforms. Yeah. You know, so we, we started doing that. Uh, but the last thing I'd say to people is this, you really have to start focusing on the future. You have to build a bridge from here, not back to what was, but you have to build a bridge from here to what shall be. In and that's what words, I wanted to ask you next. That was going to be like, like one of the final questions was, what's the strategic things we should think about coming out of this time and not just where we presently are, but what does it look like that we come out and how should we begin to map out and think about the future? I know a lot of us are really in the urgency of the now and catching up with things and catching our breath. But yeah, what would you say to some of those future things we have to be thinking about? I would build, I, 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 we are. My, my take on that is we're building a bridge into what I think would be a lot more what the book of Acts looked like. Mm -hmm. That is empowering saints in ways that I think we knew we were supposed to be doing that all along, mm -hmm. but we've sort of been content not to as long as they showed up. Right. And I think, uh, I think really, uh, it, it was interesting. God began to deal with us in 2019. I spent 15 months restructuring my entire church. And part of it was to go around a model of discipleship. I said, we've got to get closer to people and we've got to bring the gifts out of them. Here, here's what I know. The people that have always honored me the most are the people that I saw something in them they didn't see in themselves. Hmm. And when you're a leader and you can help somebody see something in themselves they didn't see, you awaken something inside of them that brings them forward. And I think we're coming to a time where it will not be about, will everybody see me? But I think it's going to be about, I'm going to help you see you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to reintroduce you to you because you don't probably know you. Because the reason you've been saying to a whole lot of things that God's been putting on your heart is because you don't know you. So let me introduce you to the you I see. That's what God did with Jeremiah and Jeremiah one. Jeremiah was saying, I can't, I can't be, I don't want to, I don't even like these people, much less being a prophet to them. And he said, Jeremiah, hold on. Let me reintroduce you to you before I formed you. I knew you hmm. and I ordained you. Let me take you back before the beginning, hmm. before you failed, before the divorce, before you messed up. Wow. Let me take you back there and show you original intent. If I can show you what you were born for, then you'll find your sweet spot in life. So I think church is going to move into a much more relational aspect where people will be discipled, not just from a stage, because you really can't do that. They'll be, they'll be, they'll be inspired to talk the word from a stage. That's not going to go away. I don't believe that all that's going to go away. But the new, the new big is going to be small. Hmm. and the small is going to become big. 
and it's going to become big in influence, big in impact. So I think we're going to go very relational. I think people are going to want people to help them learn how to navigate the situations in their life because what they're finding out is the faulty foundations they built on. So I don't think it's a, I don't think we're going to a, we're going to host a six week class on discipleship. I think we're going to go to personally getting involved in people's lives again. Yeah. And we're going to have to teach people to be disciples. That's good. Right. And all I have to do to be a discipler is know that I'm one day ahead of where you are. I don't have to be at the end of the week. Hmm. I just, if I'm in Wednesday and you're in Tuesday, I just need to teach you how to get to Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. And then as we keep growing, we'll get to Friday and Saturday. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I think right there, just thinking about it's it's almost like we're going back to the future, right? You're going back to some things to pro propel us into the future because some of these things in terms of discipleship and equipping the saints was, you know, part of that mandate that, that we always had, but there might've been some other things along the line that just became more of the, the things that kind of fed the success or became our kind of our goal. But now that we've been kind of quarantine or having to step back and take this prolonged Sabbath, we've been able to now reevaluate the foundation and going back to go to the future. Yeah. I think, I think more discipleship and uh, awareness of presence is going to come back to our homes. Mm -hmm. uh, people are not going to send their kids to a youth pastor and a children's pastor to train them. They're going to uh, realize that, Hey, this starts here with me. Yep. I think uh, I think marriages are going to be again to be anchored in a different way coming out of this, and um, one of the things I believe is that we're going to find out that that while we are engaged in in uh, discipling people, we're going to learn how to release people because there's nothing worse than inspiring people with a dream and then giving them no place to exercise it. Yeah. So. We've done that. We, we've had great pulpits that have inspired people, but then out of our own fear, we've refused to release them. Yeah. And so I think we're going to find out that we, we can release them. Can you, can you imagine that, that whole group of disciples that Jesus had? They were a pretty uh, wild group. Mm -hmm. Most of us would not have allowed them on our leadership team. Yeah. I, I know pastors that before this crisis, they couldn't, they couldn't be gone on a two week vacation because mm. they thought, I don't know anybody here. I can trust this thing to. Right. Jesus spent three years with 12 guys. One of them was a devil mm -hmm. or got used by the devil mm -hmm. and he vacated the planet. We can't even leave the city. Right. <laughs> so something about our model has got to shift. Yes. Where yeah. we empower people and still remain in a place of security in our own personal leadership. That's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for everybody because we've lived in a certain mindset. And I think God is letting us find out what our real place in the body of Christ is. What a challenge. I, I know this, and I'll, I'll leave you with this. In, in the moments of crisis, the people who know what to do will always lead. I have a one, you know, some churches of mine are in the New York City area, and I was there. And uh, one of the guys that was in 9/11, he was he was in the he's a Spanish guy, he was in one of the World uh, Trade Center towers, 
He was the head of the janitorial department from the 45th to the 72nd floor. And he was on the elevator, getting on the elevator when the plane ran into the building. And he said, every day I worked in halls with men and women who made seven, eight figures in salaries. These were investment bankers. He said, they'd walk past me in their $5,000 tailor-made suits, their handmade briefcases. He said, they wouldn't even raise their head to look at me. I was a janitor. But he said, when the planes ran into the building and everybody recognized that there was trouble, everybody began to pile in the elevator I was on. He said, I had my mop bucket and my, and my mop. He said, all these men came in, they pushed me, they were swearing. And he said, on our way down, because the building began to, to, to twist, the elevator shaft locked up. And he said, I, I told the men that were standing in front of me, open the door. And he said, they swore at me and said, what do you know? And he said, I just said, open the door. Let's press the door. And so he said, I've worked through and I began to press the door open. And he said, I took my mop handle and I began to beat against the sheetrock. And they said, what are you doing? He said, I worked in this building for 20 plus years. I know between the 47th and the 48th floor where we're stuck, that the men's restroom is right behind the elevator shaft. And he knocked a hole in the sheetrock and he led those men and women out through that hole in the sheetrock to the men's restroom, to the stairwell, all the lights were out, but he knew the building to the stairwell, down the stairwell, and as they were running down the sidewalk, the building collapsed and fell in. And that day, a, a janitor led investment bankers to save their life. In the moment of crisis, the people that know what to do will always lead. I don't have to be the greatest guy in the city. I just need to know what to do in order to show people how to get to life. Wow. That's my call. Yeah. And I think that is a great way to end this. What an inspiring thought that that is all we can do. But in doing that, there's so many people that get spared and saved because we're willing to do what it is that we've always been called to do. Bishop, it's been phenomenal to be with you. This has been rich. And I know a lot of people that are real leaders are going to enjoy this real talk that we had with you today. Bless you. Awesome. Thank you. Bless you.